So turn in your Bibles as we learn more about him to Galatians chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to take a moment here to do a a public service announcement, a little catch up. If you remember about three weeks ago, you know, being a classics major, I'm contractually obligated to throw in a reference to the Greek or Roman empire. So I told you about Cato the elder, a Roman senator lived a couple hundred years before Jesus. He had fought in the second Punic war, which is against the city of Carthage, Rome won. But he was convinced that Carthage was rearming and was going to try and attack Rome. And so as a senator on the Senate floor, every time he finished any of his speeches, didn't matter if he was talking about fixing the sewers or education or everything, he ended every speech with Carthago delenda est, Carthage must be destroyed. And again, being a former classics major, we too have a cool tagline Sunel Dukumen. Ours isn't even in English letters, so I think we get style points over Cato in this one. Sunel Dukumen. In Greek, it means to agree completely, but if you break it up and read the little words, it means we expect good together. We together think something good is going to happen. And it's our, it's our tagline, it's our, the way we've been talking about paying off the mortgage on this building. That if we're serious about missions, if we're serious about church planning, if we're serious about discipleship, then we're going to take that money, that $12,000 a month that we give to the bank right now, and we're going to start plowing it into missions. So I hope you recognize this. This is our ministry partner board. If you don't, wow, when you walk out, it's just on your right, right there. The ones in red, the six of them, those are the people we support every month. They're folks we have committed to out of our general fund. We're committed to giving away 10% of all the money that you give to the church. We give 10% outside the church to outside ministries. Those six are people that we're committed to. The other ones you see up there are folks that we have helped one way or another, but we're not, we're not in a position to support them regularly. So right now, oh, that's terrible. You can barely see it on that side. Right now, we give away $5,100 a month to missions, and we give away, thank you, we give away $12,100 to the bank, right? So the day we pay off the mortgage, one of the first things we're going to do is double that board. We want to go from 10% giving to 20% giving. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to pay off the mortgage. We're going to stop giving the bank $12,000. And when we start spending another $5,000 on missions, Wow, that's still $7,000 we got to figure out what to do with. Fear not. We have thoughts about that. So um, the thing is, we're not exactly like killing it right now. So I told you three weeks ago, you know, we we were a little under $6,000. So this is our balance as of this morning, 575. So we've paid off about 24,000. Half of that was the 12,000 we gave the bank this month. And half of that was 12,000 that you all gave this month. Thank you. We are really grateful. But I'm wondering, like, you know, like, what, what is it? I, I wonder if perhaps Sunel Dukumen is just, it, you know, it's encouraging. It's kind of fuzzy. It's like the group hug way of doing fundraising. We expect good together. And I get that, that perhaps that doesn't resonate with some of you. All right. So I would like to present to you the Sunel Dukumen for us, the, the, the new way we're going to talk about paying off the mortgage a la Cato the Elder. So from now on, <laughs> hypotheca delenda est. The mortgage must be destroyed. All right, so either way, if you like the warm and fuzzy, we're going to do this together. It's going to be good. 
Yes, that's what I want you to give to. If that doesn't work for you, we're gonna crush the mortgage, right? If that works, great. Either one, the money ends up in the same place. So, sunel du cumin, hypotheca delenda est. We need to pay this off because there's stuff we need to do. There's ministry we need to get out there and get a hold of. And the way we're gonna get involved with it is by stop giving the bank all this money and start plowing it into ministry. All right, that took a while, so you should probably be in Galatians 6 by now. We've, we're, we're, we're at the end. This is, this is it. This is the final paragraph that Paul writes. He's going to wrap it all up. And as always, <laughs> he doesn't do what I expect him to do. He doesn't wrap it up the way I expect him to wrap it up. You know, I, I think, right, we've had like five chapters or four and a half chapters of theology. We've talked about that orthodoxy, orthorightoxy thinking, which interestingly, Sunel Dukuman, the doku part, that's what you think is good. That's what you expect. It's the same word. Orthodoxy, what we think is right. And then we've had about a chapter of orthopraxy, how we should live that out. Praxy from our word practice. So this is how we think. This is how we live. I expect him to, you know, come up with some pithy way to roll all that together. Right? Here's the three things you need to remember. Here it is in, you know, an acrostic. A, B, C, one, two, three. Some, something like that. He doesn't do any of that. So read along with me, Galatians chapter six. I'm gonna start in verse 11, and I'm gonna finish the, the chapter, which is the end of the letter. Again, this is like the last paragraph. This is his closing. Notice what he starts talking about. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So, I like you. you can tell it's the end. This is something Paul, he doesn't always do it, but he frequently does it. He's got a scribe that's writing this. You know, in this age, the people are fairly literate. I mean, it's not an illiterate culture, but, but they're not used to reading and writing. It's not something they do normally. St. Augustine, who lives 300 years after Paul, he once met a man who could read without moving his lips. And St. Augustine was astounded. He'd never seen that before. When these people read, they're hearing the words. So they're, they're reading, out, you know, it, normally they'd be reading out loud, listening to it, or they're sort of like, they're whispering it to themselves. It's still an aural, A-U-R-A-L, an aural culture. They're hearing things. Paul certainly knows how to write but he wouldn't have had a lot of practice. He wouldn't have done a lot of it. There are scribes. There's, this is how people make their living. And we have, I mean, literally tens of thousands of letters from this period of time in Greek and Latin and lots of languages. And, and you can see, like, like, there are people, this is what they do for a living. They write. They've got this, you know, nice handwriting and all their letters are the same. A couple of you in this church can do that. I get notes from you and I think, 
did this person print this? Is that a hand? Every letter is perfect. Like, that's what guys do for a living. You get a, you want to write a letter back home? You, you get a scribe. You pay someone to write your letter. Paul's, Paul's got a scribe, but commonly, near the end of his letters, he will often come and, like, take the pen and write. And, and he writes in big letters because that, it's just not something he normally does. I, I, I love that. I, I like, there's just that, that little touch of, hey, it's like we sign a letter. Right? We print it out on the computer, and then what do we do? It's this beautiful printed letter, and then if you've ever seen my, it's my chicken scratch, right, Jeff? It's just a bunch of lines going up and down. So we sign letters. It's, it's a personal thing. Paul's personally writing on this. Look at this. And then notice what he says. Again, I expect him to wrap it up. That's not what he does. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh... Remember, the flesh is his way of talking about just the, the normal way that, that humanity gets around, the normal way we live and engage with someone. And not, not axe murderers and serial killers, just everyday average selfishness. Everyday average looking out for yourself, not worrying about other people if that would cause you too much trouble. I told you about the Greek playwright, right, whose plays suddenly become, well, suddenly, over time, become quite cynical as he realizes that there's a war going on and people don't care about the war. What they care about is profiting from the war. Just the normal way that life goes on. People who want to be impressive in just everyday, ordinary life. They want, they want people to be impressed by them. They want to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ that really struck me. Like, I really thought about that and did some research and looked into things like, why would these Jewish Christians, why would they be persecuted for the cross of Christ? You know, at this point in time, we're in like the 50s AD. At this point in time, everybody thinks Christianity is a sect of Judaism. They just think it's another one of those, you know, like if you've read the Bible, there are Sadducees and there are Pharisees and there are Zealots and there are Essenes and, and everyone thinks the Christians are just like that. They're just another group of Jews. The Romans even kind of officially view them as Jews. They call them sometimes the Nazarenes, sometimes they call them the Galileans, but, but they're, they're just another group of Jews. Only if you've read the scriptures, if you've read the, the, the gospels and then the book of Acts, Wow, the Jewish leaders do not think the Christians are Jews. They think they're heretics. They think they're just awful. They're doing terrible stuff. They're trying to, trying to get rid of the Christians. So think about it. If you are a Jewish Christian, it behooves you to play up your Jewishness and play down your Christianity. If, certainly if you live in Israel or, or you're interacting, if you're Jewish, it it. it it just suits you in, in the flesh, in, in the world, just to get along in the world. What suits you is to play up the Jewishness part, play down the Christianity. And at this point in time in history, the Jews actually have a lot of concessions from the Roman government. Because the Jews are the only people in the world that think there's one God. Everyone else worships lots of gods. Nobody's bothered by there being more gods the Jews say there's only one, and there's only one place you can make a sacrifice, and that's the temple in Jerusalem. Wow, everywhere else in the world, you want to you make a sacrifice to Apollo? There's temples everywhere. Go to any of them. If there's no temple of Apollo, go to a temple of Diana or Zeus or Hera. There'll be a statue of Apollo somewhere you can make an offering to. Like, th this is a pluralistic, polytheistic society. Tons of gods, tons of temples, all these things. 
And there's a tax. There's a Roman tax for religion, for the upkeep of religion, for the temples in Rome and the priests and things like that. And Jews don't have to pay it. They're the only people in the empire that are exempt from that tax because they'll never use anybody else's temple. They'll never go anywhere else. They'll never worship their God in the temple of Apollo. They say Apollo's not even a god. They only have one place they can go. And if you work for the Roman government, one of the things you often do as you start your day is you burn a pinch of incense and say a prayer for the emperor. You know, there's sort of this cult that's thinking the emperor's starting to get divine. So, you know, I don't know, if, if you've got a badge and you work at a badge, right? When you walk in, you show your badge to the guard or maybe you scan it or something and go inside. These guys, they'd come in and there'd be a flame and they'd take a pinch of incense and they'd, they'd burn, a, burn a little offering to the emperor. Say a prayer to the emperor. Jews were exempt. If you were Jewish, you didn't have to do that. Everyone else did. But they, the Romans, they just didn't want to get into a big fight over these things because the Jews were so intense about this monotheistic thing. Drove the Roman government crazy. They're like, fine, you don't, have to say the, you don't have to say the prayer to the emperor, you don't have to pay the tax. So there's a joke, a trope in, in Rome where the tax collector comes to some guy and he's like, okay, you know, three drachmas for the business and two drachmas for this and, and two drachmas for the religious tax. And the guy's like, oh, no, 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 I'm Jewish. I don't pay that. And the tax collector says, great, drop your drawers, prove it. Because if you're Jewish, you'll be circumcised. Everybody knows that, right? Every, oh, it behooves you, if you're a Jewish Christian, to play up your Jewishness because you save on your taxes and you don't have to make any offerings to the emperor. And then this guy, Paul, comes along, this no good troublemaker who goes out into the non-Jewish world and converts people to Christianity. And he says, you don't have to be Jewish. And now Jews and Christians, Jews and non-Jews, excuse me, Gentiles, both of whom have become Christians, worship together. They eat together. Okay, if you know anything about Jews in the first century, they do not eat with non-Jews. They don't go into the house of a non-Jew. They don't have a non-Jew into their house. It defiles you. You're unclean. When they're trying to get Jesus executed, they've arrested him and they've convicted him of blasphemy and they want to execute him, but you're not allowed to. Only the Romans can execute people. So they go to Pilate, the Roman governor, to ask him to execute. We found him guilty of this crime. It's a capital crime in our law. Please execute him for us. Right? They won't go in his house. They want a favor from him, but he has to come outside to talk with them because Jews don't go in the homes of non-Jews and they don't invite non-Jews into their homes and they don't eat meals together. And all of a sudden, this guy Paul is traveling around and he's got Jews and non-Jews together in the same room sharing a meal now, if anything is going to convince the world that you are not Jewish, that's way, way up there. If you are Jewish and you become a Christian, it behooves you economically and socially to play up your Judaism. Everything will go smoother for you. There's taxes you won't pay. You don't have to pinch the emperor. 
later, in the ne- over the next several years, the Romans will come to realize Christians are not Jews. And Christians will not get these privileges anymore. One of the first massive persecutions will take place because Christians won't burn a pinch of emperor to Diocletian. They're not Jews. Everybody knows that. So they don't get off. You got to do it. It behooves you to play up your Jewishness. And look what Paul says about these people. They want you to get circumcised because they don't want to be persecuted. They don't want people to realize how different things are now. They don't want the world out there, they don't want the Jews here and the Romans here to realize that something new has happened. That as he says at the end, this is a new creation. Paul says in verse 14, verse 13, those people who are circumcised don't keep the law, but they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your circumcision. They want to win. They want to be able to say, look, look, look at these guys. We all, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all together. We're all Jews. It's all, it's all great. There's no issue here. And listen to Paul's response to that. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now that sentence doesn't make grammatical sense. Crucifixion is execution. It's the way the state kills you when you've committed a capital offense. You're not executed to someone. Right? We don't go around saying, oh, yeah, chocolate, chocolate's been executed to me. That, you're not, it, grammatically, you're not executed to something. But Paul says, oh, but I have been. I have been executed to the world, and the world's been executed to me. We're dead to each other. We we have nothing to do with, as far as I am concerned, that world is gone, and as far as they are concerned, I'm gone. Like, he highlights what an incredible break this is. He says, circumcision, not circumcision, none of that matters. Verse 15, what matters is a new creation that that God, and, and he'll say this in his other letters, God has made something new of us in Christ. When we accepted Christ, we became something new. The world was crucified to us. We were crucified to the world. There, there's been a break. And yet, it is so easy, isn't it, to do exactly what these guys are doing, to do exactly what they're saying, to, to slide back in to those old ways of working to avoid trouble, to avoid having to pay extra taxes, to avoid having to say, yeah, sorry, I, 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 I can't say a prayer to the emperor. I'm sorry. Um, he's not a god. Those aren't our issues. I don't think anybody's asking you to burn a pinch of incense to someone or to get circumcised. But, but wow, it is so easy to fall back into that. I think Paul is really wise to end talking about motives. He ends this book. He says this whole big theological argument. Right? But what's underneath the theology? These guys who are arguing, presumably they're arguing theology. You know, you need, no, you, know, you need to become a Jew first, then having obeyed the law and become sacrificed, then you can become a Christian. It's a progression. Look, Abraham, he's circumcised right there. They're making theological arguments. But Paul says what's underneath those arguments is wanting to avoid 
any trouble for being a Christian. Wanting to avoid having your own people, the Jews, look at you asconce and push you away and be upset with you, or having outsiders like the Romans look at you asconce and push you away and make you an outsider. Paul says what's underneath all our theology in this case is fear and not wanting any trouble. And I think, wow, that is, like, that is so true. Right? We, could, we, we do communion every week. Some churches do it once a month. Some do it once a quarter. Some do it Sunday morning. Some have special services Sunday night. Right? I think we could probably sit down and debate that. Well, I think scripture says this, or I think this is a good idea, or I think we should do it this way. We could have a big debate about that. Have you ever gotten into a, like a discussion with someone and the emotions just go, like to you, it's just like, should we do communion every week or should we do it once a month? Well, you know, I mean, there's advantages and doing it once a month makes it more special. But at the same time, I think it's a good reminder. You're like, we could have this discussion. You have a discussion with someone and the emotions just go, Boom, off the chart. And, and they're not even like, well, I just can't talk to you about that. You clearly don't understand. And I, like, what's going on? Like, there's something inside. It's not just that issue. There, there's something visceral for them. I'm sure you have been in that situation where people start talking about things that on the surface are pretty in- innoxious, and yet you feel something going on inside you because of some experience you've had or some concern or someone else who is there. We have all felt that. Paul says, that's what's going on with these guys. Like, don't be fooled. They're not trying to get you to do this because they have this long theological argument and they've worked out why this is true. Which, by the way, he spent the first 90% of the book telling you it's not true. They're making this up. This is nuts. Read the Bible. They are not telling you the truth. But then he ends, I think, so perceptively saying, yeah, you know what's really going on with them? (laughs) It's not actually the theology. It's that if you guys are separate, if you can be Christians without becoming Jews, then we are all going to suffer. Like everyone, the Jews are all going to realize, when when you're eating with Gentiles, all your Jewish friends are going to realize, oh, you're not actually Jewish anymore, are you? And when Gentiles and Jews are coming together, when the differences between them are obvious, the Roman authorities are going to be like, oh, you're not Jews, are you? We, we, we thought you were just like weird Jews. You're a different religion. Like this Jesus guy, this is something else going on here. And you're going to lose all your, we're going to lose all our privileges. Paul says, that's what's going on. And wow, brothers and sisters, that is, that is easy to fall into. I think it was John Updike who said it's very difficult to get a man to believe something if his job depends on him not believing it. Because economics is going to trump belief. The, the Getting along in life, not being considered an outsider, not having these people upset with us, it is so easy to let that determine our theology, quote-unquote. Why, why? Paul says, these guys are arguing with you on, oh, yeah, circumcision all. What's really going on? They know that if you're not circumcised and you don't become Jewish, then everyone will realize that we're not Jews. We're Christians. And it's different. And they don't want to lose their privileges. 
and, and they don't want to lose the respect and they don't want to lose their relationships. And I'm willing to bet many of us here in this room can say, yep, being a Christian has cost me respect with someone. Standing up for what I believe has cost me. Being honest with people about what the scripture says, that has cost me. That has cost, that has cost me friendships, and it's probably true for you as well. Telling people the truth that they do not want to hear. Telling it as kindly and as gently and as mercifully as you can, but telling the truth. You're going to lose relationships because of that. You're going to lose money because of that. You're going to lose opportunity because of that. If you're going to be faithful to Christ, like what Paul says, hey, don't give me grief. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let me read you what he is talking about. When Paul planted the church in Galatia, it's in Acts chapter 14. The first city in Galatia he goes to is called Iconium. He goes in, he preaches. People of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, other with the apostles. Then there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat Paul and stone him. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe. That's Galatia. The Lyconian cities. Lyconia is in Galatia. So they go to Lystra and Paul preaches again. Okay? Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, the city they fled, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And then the next day he left. They stoned him. You get what that means. They picked up rocks. They hurled rocks at him until he lay on the ground bleeding and they thought he had died and they dragged his body out of the gate of the city and left it lying there. That happened in Galatia while he was planting this church. These guys know it. Some of them probably saw it. Paul says, this is what it cost me because I told people the truth. I told the Jews in the synagogue, guys, God, as he says in Romans, God has put up with this until now. He has left our sins unpunished, but those days are receding. This is how we come to him. We come to him through Christ. If you're not willing to do that, then you're not going to be okay with our Lord. And they didn't want to hear that. And he tells the Gentiles, who are worshiping Zeus and Apollo and everything else, those aren't gods. Those are nothing or those are evil spirits. All those sacrifices you make to Zeus and Apollo and Mithras and anybody else, they're worthless. You're wasting your time. God has presented Jesus. He is the solution to your problem. But you're going to have to stop worshiping your family's gods and start worshiping the Jewish God. They didn't want to hear that. So they stoned him. The kid tried to kill him. Left his body outside the gate. By God, I mean, I don't know if they, like, they missed or God miraculously raised him, but the Christians come out, gather around, and presumably pray over him, and he gets up. And then he leaves the next day, of course, not looking to get stoned again. Paul, Paul's like, these guys, they're telling you this because they know that they will suffer, that this costs something. And he says, hey, you know what it cost me. 
Some of you saw it. You were there. They have seen the scars on his body from those rocks. They've heard the stories. They know what it costs Paul to follow Christ. So as we close out the book of Galatians, brothers and sisters, let me end the same way Paul does. It will cost you to follow Christ. If it's not costing you, if, if nothing's happening, we talked about this before, that Paul says, you know, there, there's going to be this internal conflict if you're a Christian, because you've got the normal old way we live, and now you've got this new creation, this new way we live, and wow, those two are going to be at it. You should expect there to be conflict internally if you're a Christian, and you should expect there to be conflict externally. You should expect that there are relationships where you're going to tell the truth to people, and they're going to want to stone you, because they don't want to hear it. And there's going to be situations where it costs you. Because now that everyone knows that Christians aren't Jews, you're paying the tax, buddy. You're not Jewish. You don't get out. And Christians are going to lose their lives. Many Christians are going to lose their lives over the next hundred years because they won't burn that pinch of incense to the emperor. It will cost you. Jesus has saved you and you get it by faith alone. There's nothing you do. There's nothing you add. It is a free gift. God says, take it. It's yours. You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to make any bold promises. Take it. It's yours. But having taken it, oh, then, then, then there's a cost. There's not a cost to accept Christ. There's not a cost to accept what he has given to us but if you're going to follow him, there will be a cost. As Paul says, you know what it cost me. You've seen the marks, the scars on my body. These guys who are telling you, oh, come on, just, just be circumcised and then there won't be any issues or any problems. Everything will be fine. Don't believe them. They're only saying that because they don't want the trouble that comes with following Christ honestly. So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, I think, what, what Paul's asking them. You okay with that? Because that's the way it works. This is what happens. The world is fallen. Scripture says this world, it is the principality of the evil one. You should expect conflict if you are living as a Christian. Now, <laughs> caveat. Peter will say, writing much later than this, hey, if you have conflict because you're a jerk, that's not conflict because you're a Christian. You have conflict because you do what Scripture says is right, not because you're a bozo. But you will have conflict if you want to live the life that Christ has given you to live. If you're going to be honest with people, if you're going to do what these guys are saying, which is hide it, hide your Christianity, be Jewish. Be Jewish and you'll get along. You get along with the Jews, you get along with the Romans. Everybody understands what Judaism is. Just hide your Christianity and be Jewish and everything will be fine. You can live like that in our world. You can easily live like that in our world and hide the fact that you are a follower of Christ. That, that scripture says things that you believe, that you have to take stands on certain issues because this is what God says. And ultimately, I'm gonna go with God on this. Again, not being a jerk, not being a bozo about it. But it is going to cost you. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me that 
we would do what Paul encourages us to do, that we'd stand firm, that we'd be the people that God wants us to be, that we'd count the cost. I suspect, I mean, again, you know, I'm in this passage all week, so I, I, I realize you know, I have a huge advantage when I say to you, oh, when I've been speaking, has God said anything to you? You know, God didn't say things to me necessarily the very first time I read it. I'm going to ask God to, God's spirit to be talking to us. Like, are there ways we're doing this? Are there ways we're hiding our faith in Christ? Are, are there ways that, like, we're just trying to get along because I don't want to pay that tax. And I don't want to have that conflict with my boy. You know, I, I don't want to have to go say, look, I can't, I'm not a Jew. You're right. I'm not a Jew but I can't burn to Caesar, just like they can't. I believe in one God. You know, I, I, there's no, I, Caesar's not a God. I can't, I can't say a prayer to him. I don't want that conflict. I don't want to lose my job. I'm just going to ask the Lord, his spirit, to be speaking to us. Oh, oh today, the ne- over the next week, are, are there ways that we're doing this? Are there ways that we're hiding the reality of our faith, that we're just trying to fit in, as he said, to avoid the persecution that comes with what Jesus has done for us? So I'm going to pray for us out loud. You pray for us quietly. See if the Lord says anything to you. I I, I get it. That that could be a hard thing to hear. But everything he says is good. If he tells us the truth, it's for our good. If he rebukes us, if he points things out to us, he's like, yeah, you're doing that right here. You're hiding. You're hiding me right here. See if the Lord says anything to you. If he does... Talk to him about it. See what he wants you to do. He can talk to you. He can make his will clear. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you die for us, knowing full well that this is true about us. Knowing full well that so many of the theological arguments that we have, oh, they they just come down to fear. They come down to the fact that I don't want to change. So I will argue vehemently that I don't have to change. So many of the things we hold on to so tightly, I don't hold on to them because I know they're true. I hold on to them because I don't want to pay the cost. I don't want the conflict. I don't want the issues. I don't want to have to pay the tax. I don't want to have to tell my boss I I can't say that prayer when everyone else does. Lord, be gracious to us. Thank you. Thank you that you are. Thank you that you died for us knowing all this was true about us. You died for us long before we were ever born. Thank you. Jesus, we, we want to learn the lessons of Galatians. The, the lessons of salvation in you alone. Full stop. Nothing we do. It is a gift from you. We didn't earn it and we'll never pay for it. We want to learn that lesson. And we want to learn the lesson that, that yeah, now that we've got that free gift, it's going to cost us. If we live the lives you want us to live, if we become the people, if we really are this new creation that you have made, we are going to have conflict. We're going to have conflict internally with ourselves and our old natures, and we're going to have conflict externally. Lord, help us. Help us to live this out well. Help us not to be afraid. Jesus, you know You know what we're like. You you wrote scripture. You know what it says about us. We're like flowers. We spring up one day, a strong wind blows, and we're gone. Help us, Lord. Remember that we're dust. Be gracious to us. Help us to, to learn these lessons from the book of Galatians, not to be afraid, to, to be in awe and overjoyed at your gift, and then to live it out the way you want us to, without fear, 
Uh, we need you, Lord, to be at work in our hearts for this to be true. It, it is so easy. Uh, just like what these guys are doing, it's so easy to hide you. It's so easy to hide our faith. It, it's so easy. You, you said no one lights a lamp and then puts a bucket over it. And yet we do all the time. We don't want people to see the lamp. Then they'll know. Then they'll know that we're Christians. Then they'll know we follow you. We hide those lamps all the time. Jesus, help us. Help us not to be like these guys. Help us to be like Paul. To, to do what is right and good and to trust that you will protect us. And Lord, we need you to be at work in us. As we close out this year, as we begin next week, to prepare ourselves for your birth, to prepare ourselves to celebrate. Jesus, work the lessons of Galatians deep into our hearts that they, they take root there and they grow there and they resonate there and they flow out. They flow out into our lives. Right thinking into right actions. And we pray this in your name, Lord. We pray everything in your name. You are our God. Even when we don't admit it to other people, you are our God. You have saved us. We pray in your name. Amen.